Hello? That was a cool thing about the 80s, you know, like all those movies like, were like that. Every one of my games, I try to do something brand new. Best time to get someone, man, when they're well fed and, and had a couple of wines. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Retro Project Podcast. My name is Steve and I am your host. Today's episode is the second part of our interview with comics legend Jerry Conway. Now, if you haven't heard the first part, head over into iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify. Check out part one. Come back. Check out part two. If you like both parts, go onto iTunes, Stitcher or Spotify. Leave us a review. It really, really does help the show. Now, Jerry will be with us in just a second. Uh, before then, I'd just like to let you know where you can find us. You can find us on the Twitter, at Retro Project Pod. You can find us on Facebook, at Retro Project Pod. You can also send us an email to theretroprojectpod at gmail.com. And you will also find us as part of the Fantastic Universes family. You can go check out Fantastic Universes at www.fantasticuniverses.com. Now, that is enough for me. So, please welcome Jerry Conway. There's something about time travel that gets me every single Oh, time. I love time travel. Oh, yeah. I, I, uh. So good. Time travel is just so yeah. good. But uh, we'll, we'll watch a time travel uh, show or movie or something like that, and I'll be with my wife and I'll be with my daughter. And they'll be sitting there going, mm-hmm. what's, what's this happening now? And didn't that guy die? I'm like, yeah, but he went back. And now this is him when he's alive. Before. And they're just like, ah, oh, whatever, you know. And I'm like, no, this is the greatest thing if ever. You really want to mess. <laughs> you really want to mess them up. Show them the movie Predestination, uh, which is an adaptation of uh, the Robert Heinlein story, All You Zombies. Uh, it's with Ethan Hawke, and it's a small independent film, but it's a great science fiction time travel film. It will completely freak them out. Awesome. Uh, You'll love it. If you love paradoxes and time travel, twists and turns, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. Oh, I, I, it's, it's just something about the concept of it, and there's so much uh, that you can do with it, you know, and it's just a, it's just such a cool concept in, in any medium. Yeah. Now, you were mentioning earlier about the, the writer's room, which kind of made me want to ask you, you took over um, Spider-Man with issue 111. Right. Now, you're 19 years old at this point. <laughs> yes. Which, it, that blows my mind. You're 19 years old and you're basically writing the, the most important, you know, maybe apart from Fantastic Four, which you ended up writing not long after that anyway. Yeah. Um, you're 19 years old and you're taking over from Stan Lee. Yep. Now, you mentioned about the writer's room concept about how there's, you know, the, the ideas and it's, it becomes a bit of a committee. When you took over, were there certain things where Stan turned around to you and said, look, this is the direction I was thinking of, of things going in. I was, I've got, um, I've already done point A and B. I'd like it if you did point C and D. Or was it, take over, kid, away you go, best of luck to you, I'm out? Yeah, um, it was the latter. Uh, it was mostly, don't bother me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But, but to be fair, I was not. I I, I was the uh, really the second lead on that book after uh, Stan left. 
Uh, John Romita was uh, the, the, the primary storyteller. Uh, he and I worked together on the plots, but John really ran that book for the issues that, that uh, uh, we did together where his name came first. So it was almost like a bit of a, a traineeship for you, an apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And he taught me quite a bit. I mean, he taught me how to pace out a... Uh, uh, I mean, without sitting me down and teaching me, but, you know, but sh- by, by, uh, by example, showing me how to pace out, uh, the, the different character beats, uh, you know, how to, how to build suspense, uh, how to, uh, carry storylines over from one issue to the next, uh, in a, in a flow rather than in the kind of haphazard way that I had been doing it on other books. So I, I grew quite a bit in the year that John and I worked together uh, as a writer. So that was more of a, a, a collaboration than I had with uh, subsequent artists. Although I, I, I also had a fairly strong collaboration with Ross Andrew. It just, you know, was a slightly, uh, slightly different uh, dynamic. What's the difference between having an, an artist who is also a writer and having a script that you turn over to someone who is just simply there to, to draw yours. What, do you have a preference either way? Or oh, way or? I, 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 to the extent that I can work with a, 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 an artist who will collaborate with me on story, I'm, I'm ex- always happy. Uh, I'd say, though, that, that maybe 80% of the work that I've done in the field, if not more, was done script, you know, just writing a script and, and turning it over to an artist. That's because most of the work I've done in the field was at DC, where that was the standard operating procedure. Uh, and now, uh, since I've returned to comics and done occasional scripts, that seems to be the standard operating procedure everywhere now. Uh, writers and artists today, when they collaborate, it's more of an informal process where they sit down together and, and talk over what they'd like to do. Uh, you know, it's not something that's facilitated necessarily by uh, the working arrangements. Um, but I, I always loved when I was working at Marvel and I was working with an artist who was capable of contributing story to the, the, the plot. I was really excited by that. Uh, Ross Andrew was a good example. I mean, I would give him a fairly detailed plot, but he could take it and then add nuances, story nuances to to the to the scenes that provided me with opportunities to do more interesting dialogue, you know, uh, to play off of it. Uh, but in other cases, I'd be working with an artist who I'd give a similar plot to, who would just provide, you know, the bare bones of the story that that I'd given him, uh, so that there was really no benefit to uh to that form you know it was just another another you know uh maybe in some cases a disappointment you know where i I'd, I'd hoped for a bit more engagement on his part and or her part you know although there were a few female artists that i ended up working with uh, you know i would i would hope for more engagement and i wouldn't get it so I eventually you know eventually writing just full scripts was uh, you know, fine because I wasn't really getting much feedback uh, from the artist, with the exception, you know, 
people like George Perez on Justice League or, uh, you know, Garcia Lopez uh, on the books that we did together, uh, I would get, you know, much more back from people like that than uh, than I would from some other artists that I'd worked with. Well, I mean, uh, Garcia Lopez, um, that's, a, that's a great name to mention because I've, one of the books which I've got in front of me at the moment is... Uh, uh, Atari Force issue one. Oh, yeah. um, now, uh, Garcia Lopez, he basically became almost like the the go to marketing officer for, yes. of, for DC. Everything that you would see out in the out in the world, you know, if there was a mug or a t shirt or something like that, it would have his his artwork on it. Yeah, you know, and um, maybe that was just it came from the fact that you mentioning he was. He was good to collaborate with, you know. Of course, you want to work with. Well, it's, a, it's actually with. a result. It was more a result of, of his preferences for the kind of work that he wanted to do. Jose was uh, a wonderful storyteller and a wonderful uh, uh, draftsman, but he was also, from from his point of view, too slow uh, to earn you know, enough of a living off of the work that he was doing uh, when he would be doing a a monthly comic. Uh, He could make a much better living doing the marketing work. Uh, You know, so the combination of of his uh, slowness, you know, I mean, today he would be considered a a speed demon. (laughs) One of the things I I did just mention... Atari Force. Now, one of the, without even knowing who you were, um, your works were something I was um, into at an early age because of the Atari Force comics and also the Sword Quest competition, ah, which sure. which took place at the at the at the time in the uh, would have been the the early eighties, the mid eighties, eighty four, eighty four was the second volume of. Atari Force number one. Now, how did with the Sword Quest and the Atari Force stuff? Was that something where you obviously with Sword Quest you would have had to, but was Atari Force a close collaboration with Atari, or did they have certain points for you that they wanted to hit on, or was it you just saying this is what it is that I'm going to write? Well, there were two versions of Atari Force. There was the uh, the the comic that uh, Ross Andrew drew that appeared in the Atari uh, uh, cassette boxes, you know, the, for, for, the, for the games. Yeah, so they come with and the package, then, like with Defender and all of that. Right, kind of yeah. right. And, and that was kind of like a, uh, a, a one-off uh, sort of uh, promotional comic that, that really was more of a corporate synergy thing uh, where the publisher at the time, uh, Jeanette Kahn, wanted to do something that that would involve DC and Atari together because they were both owned by Warner Brothers and we would it would show that that uh, these two uh, subdivisions could promote each other. Uh, so Roy Thomas and I came up with a fairly generic, uh, bland sort of s- Star Trekky type premise, and that's that was the original Atari, Atari Force. Uh, then Jeanette 
when when after that was done and after the sword quest thing was done i believe it th- this came out su- uh, subsequently um Jeanette still wanted to do something with the title atari force but she didn't feel like we needed to actually tie it into what we had done before i mean she she would be fine if we did didn't really matter one way or the other to her so for that since i was going to be working with uh, jose uh and i was in a position to, to uh, create something brand new with him, we sat down with Andy Helfer, uh, our editor, and brainstormed for a couple of days uh, and just came up with these, this weird group of characters uh, that I, I honestly do not know how I managed to come up with something as creative <laughs> as I did at that period, because it was unlike anything else I had done before or since, you know, it was just a bunch of really cool, weird, strange takes on, on, on different alien characters and different types of people and so on. Uh, and we sort of built it up from, from the characters up, you know, like let's do a, let's do this female bounty hunter type character. Let's uh, do this, uh, interesting kid, you know, uh, who has this one weird superpower. Let's do these really odd aliens. Um, you know, let's count. All of it was just pure off-the-wall brainstorming. And we were very lucky uh, to have that opportunity. And then from that, we built out the universe uh, that we were operating in. And I think, you know, for, for the... 18 or so issues that I was involved with it. Uh, I guess it was about 18 issues. Uh, it's some of the best work that I personally think I did at DC. Uh, um, I read, reread a lot of your stuff. It was a, talking to you with a perfect excuse for me to go, well, I've got to do the research. Um, and what <laughs> struck me about it... Yeah, oh, do yeah, your yeah, homework. Yeah. <laughs> if it's homework, then you know, send me back to school if this is, if this is what homework is. Um uh, it struck me as a lot of the um, a lot of the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff that is so popular now. Um, there is so many similarities between Atari Force. You've got these, like you were saying, off the wall characters. You've got this um, uh, galactic setting. You've got bounty hunters. You've got these people who have just all been thrown together. And as I was going through it, I was like, this could easily be today's Guardians of the Galaxy. It's, yeah, it's all there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's yeah. the The only problem is there's no way to get, ever get the rights for all of this in one place to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Atari owns, you know, Atari is a separate company. It owns its own thing now. We we don't have any trademark with them. Uh, DC has no. I, I'm not even sure if DC has any rights in it anymore. Uh, I heard at one point that IDW was going to be publishing a reprint of the of the material, but I haven't seen it. You know, uh, I just don't know how you could ever get, uh, do anything with it, which is a shame because it's it's such. I was so happy with that book when we were doing it. Uh, it just felt like we were breaking new ground and just having wild fun. Um, and that's the thing which I thought when I went back and read it. It was. It was just a lot of fun. It was just an adventure after adventure. You mm-hmm. know, the character interactions. 
everything was very cool. It would make a fantastic animated series. Yeah. It would it would really work. Now, that leads me into something else which I want to bring up with you. One of my favourite things when I was a kid uh, and uh, I used to send my dad crazy because every time we would go to the video shop, I would want to rent Fire and Ice. <laughs> wow. Now, um, the Ralph Baskey animation didn't hurt. You know, for the, mm-hmm. for the reasons why I wanted to do it, but I went back and um, and again, I've got to do my research. And I went back and and watched that because I've got the DVD of it. That's a it's, the story behind that is is just fantastic. Was um was that something that was easy for you to get off the ground? Was it something where people came to you? Like how much of a collaborative well, effort was the was the launching of that? We uh, Roy and I uh, were approached by Ralph Bakshi to work on that. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not really sure under what circumstances, you know, it, it happened. Uh, we had sold a feature film. Uh, so we were, we were known as people who were writing in film. And at the same time, Bakshi as a comic book fan knew of us, you know, in that sense, uh, he had Frank Fazetta attached to this project and they, he knew he needed writers uh, or a writer. Uh, so I don't know why he particularly reached out to us, but he did. And we came in and basically all we had, uh, to work with initially was, uh, the death dealer, uh, painting that Frank Fazetta was known for. Uh, Ralph said, basically, I want to do a fantasy film based around this. (laughs) 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 And that was about all they had, you know, and, Roy and I brainstorming, we came up with this idea of creating a, a world uh, of fire and ice. You know, we, that was our title and our, our concept uh, that would give you visuals in two very different uh, uh, milieus. And then Bakshi uh, and, and Frazetta did, you know, some uh, conceptual art or, or sketches, or I don't even know if Frank actually did any sketches of it except maybe for the uh, you know for the the female lead luana or whatever whatever her name was uh and the the you know the three main characters i think got got sketches um but for the most part we we built that story ourselves and we wrote what amounted to a two-hour screenplay and we kept saying to ralph you know this is are you sure you want to write us to write a two-hour screenplay because most animated films are only about you know, an hour and a half, you know, I mean, if that, you know, they're usually clock in at around 80 minutes and he says, Oh, no, no, it'll be fine. We're going to, we're going to shoot the whole thing. Don't worry about it. You know? And and then he shot the whole thing as, uh, uh, for, for rotoscoping, you know, which is where you get the actors to perform the, uh, the script, the same, the same style. And then you animate. Yeah. Yeah. And then you animate off of that. And, at that point, after he'd shot the film and edited together the rough cut, he said, huh, this thing's two hours. We have to cut about a half hour out of it, which is why there's so much plot material that's missing from the movie. <laughs> there's like rationales, I mean, uh, character backstory, uh, all kinds of material that would have, I think, made that film a much more coherent piece. Uh but as we used to say when, when we would talk about the film with people, every line that is in that movie was written by us, but not every line we wrote is in that movie. 
there's a good movie outside of that movie. They used to say there was a good movie in that movie somewhere, but there is a good movie outside that movie. <laughs> Uh, it was a great, pro- I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun to work on, uh, but, uh, but was also extremely frustrating working with Ralph, who, uh, I think is bipolar. I don't know whether he actually is or not, but he certainly, yeah, yeah, there's, like a, there's a few stories uh, about, about Ralph as, as far yeah. as, uh, he's a very hard guy, uh, to, to keep track of, you know, he's hot and cold. So that I think is why the movie uh, was kind of apt. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but brilliant at what he did, you know, the animation oh, yeah. side of things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When, 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 he, when, he's, when things are working well with him, uh, there's nobody better. I think uh, American Pop is one of my favorite movies yeah. of all time. And, uh, you know, the Fritz the Cat movie is just, just phenomenal. Uh, about half of Lord of the Rings is great. And, uh, you know, there's there's quite a bit to really like in Fire yeah, and Ice yeah. too. The um the Lord of the Rings one was my introduction uh, to him, and then um, Fire and Ice came not long after that. Because you know it was the era of video shops; they were all they were all there, you know. And, yeah. and it's when you oh, judge yeah. things by it by the cover, now I see this cover, and it's basically a Frazetta picture on the. Oh, it is yeah, a Frazetta painting. The, yeah. On the, the cover. Um. So what's what is there to to not love? You know, as as far Absolutely. as that goes. Now, um, uh, before I let you go, I do have to touch on on one thing, which is probably one of the things that you are best known for, and I'm sure that you've spoken about it a thousand times. So feel free to to go as short as you need to. But it's a, it's the it's the <laughs> death of, of Gwen Stacy, right? And that's where we end the second part of our chat with Jerry Conway. You can hear the third part. Uh, if you subscribe to us on iTunes, you'll get it straight away. So head over there, get leave us a review if you like the show. Now, where can you find us out on the intraweb? You can find us on Twitter, at RetroProjectPod. You can find us on Facebook, at RetroProjectPod. You can send us an email to theretroprojectpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us at www.fantasticuniverses.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. And this has been the Retro Project Podcast.